Okay, so. Well, James, it's good to see you again. Glad to, glad to, uh, to talk with you, Dama. Uh, one of the things that we can uh, uh, begin to look at is, is that the way that the Dhamma is taught is the same way that everything else is taught, and that is in concepts. And that uh, much of the concepts that come from the time of the Buddha are quite foreign to us in modern times. And so we need to kind of rearrange those concepts or get a better understanding so that they fit in with the conceptual ideas that people have nowadays. But the reality is, is that we're not trying to convey concepts at all. We're trying to convey experience in the sense of uh, sensual experience and um, the, the experience of the senses. And yet, in order to do that, we have to talk in concepts, which is not in sensual experience. And so there's a bit of an, an, uh, a hang up there. And so if we can have that in mind, let's see if we can talk about it and put it more in experiential terms. While we're still using concepts. OK, so. Uh, one of the big problems that Westerners have in general, and then they it's become part of the Western Buddhist culture, um, is the idea of things uh, to be attained, attainments. Now, this goes very much along with Western mentality that the first grader attains second grade and the high school student gains a diploma and uh, the Bachelor of Arts student gains a master's degree. That's how we keep looking at it, improving and gaining, et cetera, more and more like that. And so people bring that attitude towards Buddhism. And so we look at things like jhana as an attainment, or we look at sotapan or sotagami or arahat or enlightenment or nirvana or all of those things as attainments based upon concepts rather than looking at them as um, uh, experience, perhaps experiences over a long period of time. And so getting that frame of reference change out of the conceptualization into experience, we can start looking at the fact that um, really, Part of the Western mentality of these attainments has to do with, I don't have it now, but if I do X, Y, and Z, then I will get it. I will attain it. So um, this is actually a way of looking at this as a, as a, a triangle, say a right triangle, where you have from A to B on one side, and then from B to C, on uh, on the bottom, and then you have A to C, which is the hypotenuse, right? And most of us think, based upon the way that we've been taught, is in order to get from A to C, we've got to go to B first. We go from A to B, and then from B to C. But the teaching of the Buddha is a direct path to go directly from A to C. This is something that's pointed out in the Satipatthana Sutta, 
ekamaga or a direct path. Uh, in Thai language, it's actually called a, a shortcut. So if we think of it like this, then uh, the Eightfold Noble Path, along with the Four Noble Truths, is not a goal or a destination, like the Third Noble Truth is not a goal or a destination. It's something that can be done right now, because we're going to go directly to it. We're not going to go from here to there and yon and then around, getting around to it that we're going to go directly there. OK, so if we look at it from the perspective of the Four Noble Truths, then Dukkha is the um, the first noble truth that it exists. Uh, the whole teachings of the Buddha can be uh, referred to as uh, Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. And the Western mind has the idea that Dukkha and Dukkha Naroda is a long journey or a long path. As opposed to flipping a switch. Turning the lights on. Turn it, you know, getting out of the darkness into the light and doing that immediately. And how we do that is by understanding that the second noble truth is, is that there is an immediate cause for Dukkha. And if we remove that immediate cause for Dukkha, then we're in the third noble truth immediately as an experience rather than as a concept or a goal. Right. That's liberating right there, that knowledge. Right. Right. That it comes immediately if we remove in this uh, instant or in this moment, if we remove uh, the hindrances, then we are free from the hindrances. If we remove the hindrances as dukkha, then we're free from the dukkha right then and there. That's an important point. In fact, it is so important that that's the whole path. That's the whole path right there is to immediately come out of the dukkha into uh, uh, sukha or into the absence of it. Now, uh, the word sukha actually means the exact opposite of the word dukkha. It's used that way not just in the Pali, but it's also in the Thai language. They have duk and suk in kwam suk tutum dun dai. Okay. And that also I found a student who has uh, a history from his family uh, of India that his uh, native language is Gujarati. And he says it's the same in Gujarati. There's Duki and Suki, and they're exact opposites of one another. One is unsatisfying, and the other one is satisfying. So I find that that's really interesting. That it's not a long journey or a long distance from Dukkha to Sukha. They're just exact opposites of the same point. Right. 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 Now, one thing I want to talk to you about today is the. Uh, four frames of reference. I guess that ties that in in a way that the way you pay attention to Dukkha Sukha is being having a frame of reference in the body or in the emotions or in the mind. Can you explain some of that? Are you talking about the Satipatthana? I'm not sure what it's called. I think it's called the four frames of reference. No, it's called the four foundations of mindfulness. Oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. 
a frame of reference is used in a different way. But right. Buddhism would be a frame of reference and psychology or psychotherapy would be a frame of reference and neuro or uh, uh, neuroscience would be a frame of reference. Right, that's four, mind, four foundations of mindfulness. That's right. I've yes. been reading a little bit about that. I need you to bring that to life. Well, <clears throat> we're going to bring that to life. This is what the practice really is all about, is that there is a kind of a practice or a sequence of events that we go through to come from that first noble truth to unhook or unwire the second noble truth to get into the third noble truth. And that is a method, not a path, that it's wrongly translated to call it an eightfold noble path because the word path in English normally means it goes somewhere, going someplace, a footpath, a bike path. Uh, and so the Eightfold Noble Path is misunderstood because, in fact, it's not a path, it's a method. Okay, and basically it would be uh, the method that it takes to open the door right in front of us, as opposed to a path to a door. So the door is right in front of us and there is a method. The putting in the key, turning of the key, turning of the knob, and pushing a four-step process, okay? And so the uh, getting the key is, is sati, to remember, to practice, to remember, to look, okay? So the putting the key in is the looking and turning the handles is taking the right effort, okay? And when we get the right effort done and the door is free, now, with our right uh, attitude that we can open this door now, we can push it open. So these four items on the Eightfold Noble Path is actually the way that we practice Anapanasati. If we can understand that Anapanasati is actually a fulfillment, uh, our practice for the fulfillment of the Eightfold Noble Path, and when it is fulfilled, then it's called the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, because all the items that we're going to be talking about are right there in the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, the Sambo Jhana. Right. And so, if you've read the, um, hmm, something is really strange with the mouse, and it keeps going all over the place. Sorry about that. I keep having to move it to get the uh, screen back. So, um, mouse pad, I think, is dirty. Sorry about that. So anyway, um, the seven factors of enlightenment starts with unremitting mindfulness. Now, unremitting means that it keeps coming back and keeps coming back, and that's the skill that has to be developed of uh, sati, is to keep bringing it back over and over and over and over again until it becomes almost a habit so that it becomes unremitting. And what I mean by unremitting for the students is to say that uh, sati will come when you need it the most. When you don't need it, not, not necessary, but there is times that you will need it. And when do you need it? When there's hindrances in the mind. Okay, so 
We need it uh, to develop this as a skill so that it will be there, kind of Johnny on the spot, any time for us. And that um, if we uh, practice to develop the sati, then it will be there so that we can uh, gain uh, the use of it. An example, in fact, a way of saying it is, is that if you have a skill or a set of skills, but you don't remember to apply those skills when you need them, then they're not, they're not no value to you. So sati is the first skill because we have to remember to wake up, to pay attention, to look. Okay, this also fits right in with step nine of Anapanasati, which is part of the um, uh, Chitta Nupasana or the Sita Nupasana. So the investigation of the mind means that we re we investigate it when we remember to investigate it. But what we're going to be investigating it for is whether it's free from hindrances or not. Now, you've already mentioned about uh, some of the things that are in the Satipatthana Sutta about the states of mind. But the states of mind have to do with how much uh, effectiveness there is with dukkha. So you can have a tired state of mind or a low state of mind, which is actually kind of a hindrance. Right. Okay. So when we're investigating the states of mind, we're also investigating the objects or investigating the hindrances with the idea that we're going to remove those immediately. Not over time, but right now. Whatever hindrances are there now, never mind the hindrances that are coming next week or right. a month from now, never mind the hindrances that happened last year. Talking about removing the hindrances of the mind right now. That is one's right effort. What about the hindrances are emotional or stress? Right or, now, we're going. Well, let's yeah. work. Start in the beginning. Yeah. That everything starts with the thought. All actions and all speech and all feelings have a thought. That thought may be a long sequence of thinking in the sense of a concept, or it can be a, almost an instant thing, which would be like a tenth of a second. Right. Okay. Uh -huh. Uh, and that, in fact, the very, very fast ones could be called attitude. Okay, so if we lean in a direction, then the thought that we're going to have is going to have a thought of that direction. So we're talking about something that happens immediately in the mind, and we need to see that so that we can change the mind immediately. And what we're going to be changing is we're going to, in fact, we're going to introduce it in the concept of a wholesome thought versus an unwholesome thought. Now, an unwholesome thought is any kind of thought that would be a hindrance. An unwholesome thought would be any kind of thought that is keeping you from being in a wholesome state. Just like a hindrance would be anything that would hinder you from feeling the way that you would want to feel. Excuse me, I'm a little bit stuck. Maybe I'm just I'm misunderstanding thought. I always thought a thought was something 
but had something verbal attached to wait it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, stop. Okay. There, we are speaking in the sense of mind moments. Okay. There is also a concept of a conceptual thought or a verbal thought. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. These, so you're these kind of thoughts are not the only kind of thoughts that there are. That a thought would be any kind of way at all that we would spend a mind moment. Okay. Okay. And that we can think we can uh, uh, spend our time in discursive thought. We can spend our time in um, uh, observational thought. And that? well, like when you see out of your eyes, there is an instant when you're looking out your eyes and you're not thinking, you're looking. Right. That, that's like a thought then. That's a thought. That's a kind ah. of a mind moment. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. That is a kind of a thought, just like a discursive thought can be right. a kind of a thought. So if you feel tired, when you recognize the tiredness, before you even use the word tired, you recognize the tiredness. That's a right. thought. And then okay. saying I'm tired is another thought. Right, right, right. And so what we're actually talking about is, is getting very fast at looking at what the mind is doing because it jumps around really fast. Right, right. We're talking about in the neighborhood of um, 100 to 200 milliseconds. Or about a tenth of a second. Maybe a fifth of a second. And so uh, when we're observing to remember to wake up and look, then we had, can see, is this thought a really good thought? Because you can actually wake up to recognize that the thought that you're having is a really, really valuable thought. A thought of right. peace, a thought of happiness, a thought of quiet. Right. But many times we wake up and the thoughts that we're having are unwholesome thoughts. Thoughts of wanting something that we don't have. Thoughts of not liking things second noble truth kind of stuff okay and so what then needs to be done with uh the eightfold noble path is to immediately then change that thought from an unwholesome to a wholesome thought this now is step 10 of anapanasati now please remember that the word steps here do not have the kind of do uh stuff like an uh, uh, an army does, you know, uh, marching, right. going from here to there. That our steps are much more like uh, dancing steps with a waltz. Okay. Okay. And so we begin kind of at step nine to wake up and look at what we're doing, and then step ten to gladden the mind. This is the practice over right. and over and over again. So the Buddha says is that right view right sati and right effort run and circle around each other. These are the ways that we begin to practice, to wake up, to look, and to change the thought from, from whatever it is, the unwholesome, into a wholesome thought. We do this over and over again. This is described in Sutra number 117. Okay, and as you practice these three things over and over and over again, they develop skills between them. 
so that the effort in the beginning is some effort. But as we gain skill in our effort, there is not going to be so much effort. Our skill that we're developing in right viewing is not. Here's a thing that we can understand first off about right view. The noble right view, the Aryan uh, Sama Arya Samati, does not mean a viewpoint or a conceptualization like a world view. That wrong view is a conceptualized world, and that it, uh, its basic statement <clears throat> is I can get away with it. I can go do what I want, and I can get what I want, and I can harm whoever I want, and I can get away with it. Because there is no mother and father, there is no comma, there is no God, there is no devil, there is nothing that can harm me, and I can take care of myself. Uh, some atheists have that point of view, but it's also the view of a drive-by shooter, but it's also the view of every child within us, that we think that we could get away with it. A clear example of that is the, the the woman who is on a diet goes to the refrigerator and sneaks stuff out of the refrigerator late at night so nobody can see her because if nobody sees her eat it, then it don't count. Right. Okay, this is this is a, um, an example of that uh, kind of wrong view. And so ordinary right view is the right view of no, you can't get away with it. We will make rules, we will make laws, we will set things up, we will hire an army, we will hire a police force, and if none of that works, we're going to get a priest. We're going to make sure that you don't get away with it. And so these are the two worldviews, okay, that people have, which could be basically um, recognize that we all have both views and we swap back and forth between them. Sometimes we feel like a nut, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we want to fix the world and sometimes we actually want to break it. So right noble view is not a viewpoint or um, an established position, but rather it's right noble viewing, looking, investigating, noting, watching. Okay, so two of them are concepts, right view and uh, wrong view and ordinary right view, but noble right view is not honing concepts, rather it's continuing to investigate. Right, right, I understand that. Okay, so as we continue to investigate, that means that we're investigating in order to change the mind from uh, unwholesome to wholesome thoughts. This is the gladdening of the mind. Okay. And this can is you, the right effort. Can you define the mind? I thought the mind is everywhere. Well, let us talk about it in the sense of uh, between your ears. Let okay. us talk about the mind in the sense of the functions of the brain. All right. And we can also think of the functions of the brain as interrelated to the body and the feelings. So that right. feelings will cause certain kinds of thoughts and thoughts will cause certain kind of feelings. And the body will, will also cause certain kind of feelings. And the body will cause certain kind of thoughts. Right. These are all interrelated. 
What I mean is, for example, I gladden my shoulders. Pardon? I gladden my shoulders. That does In other words, yeah, it does. It works. Uh, for me, what happens is if I have stress on my shoulders or some part of my body, obviously it's some kind of tension. And by gladdening energy, like, like you say, gladdening the mind, I take it like, I'm gladding my shoulders and my shoulders relax and they well let us use then the word relax because the word relax does make sense and i notice that your shoulders go up and down when you were talking about relax they did right. and now they're back up again no that what happens is there's this uh chair thing here okay here we go oh there you it's, go it's, it's, it's the armchair that's uh okay here we go oh okay so um <clears throat> what the way that we're using the word mind is not overly, uh, let us say, but rather that it's a, the functions of the brain. And we will talk more and more about that so that we get a better understanding of it. But like I said last time when you were talking, in order to for you to understand things more clearly instead of taking each thing that I put give you and try to fit it in to what you've already got it's much right. better for you to listen to what I have to say and get that together so okay. that then you can add uh, your own understanding to it okay but okay. so long as you try to keep fitting in what I'm saying into your already understanding this is right. going to take a long time. It's going to be slow process like that. Okay. 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 So, um, going back to the point about uh, the Sutta Namhasana, um, that the first thing that we do is we investigate what kind of thoughts, what kind of um, verbal thoughts, what kind of dialogue do we have going on, because we're not good enough to see some of the other kind of thoughts yet. So we're looking at, uh, in the beginning, discursive thoughts. And those kind of discursive thoughts are either going to be wholesome or unwholesome. Normally, they're unwholesome. For most people, about 70 to 80% of the time, they're unwholesome. For those people over 90% of the time, they're in grave danger. And when somebody is almost 100% unwholesome thoughts, they're either suicidal or close to death in other ways. Right. Okay. But we can change that ratio back down to 50% or even down to 30% if we keep changing the content of the mind because we're investigating it. Now, there's also the understanding that one's right viewing, one's right noble uh, viewing uh, is a skill to be developed. So that in the beginning, we see hindrances in a certain way. We see unwholesome thoughts in a certain way. But as we practice more and more and more, we begin to see that some of the thoughts that I thought were OK wind up being dangerous. Right. Right. And that the reason for that is because we have the, the Buddha talks about it in this sense of we do things because of the gratification that we did stuff in the, when we were kids, we got something out of it. And so we continued to do that with varying degrees of gratification. OK, for instance, we get angry because we feel really powerful when we're angry. Right. right? But 
there is also the possibility of the dangers for this. When one recognizes how dangerous getting angry is often, and that we, in fact, even though we feel powerful, we often don't get what we want. We wind up getting something that we don't want instead. And so when we see the dangers, now we can plot our escape out of anger so that we can decide we're not going to get angry anymore. But so long as we see anger as beneficial because we get gratification out of it, then we don't have quite the energy that it takes for the right effort. So this is one of the ways that right effort and right view work together. So that if you can see something as unwholesome, as dangerous, then the, right. getting rid of it is a whole lot easier to do than if you're not sure whether it's dangerous or not. Okay. Okay, so this is how these three things run in circle around each other. And these three things actually fit most directly with Anapanasati step nine and 10. But we also want to bring in step one of Anapanasati with taking long, deep, with sati in breaths. Right. Now, we already know how to take a long, deep in breath. So all we have to do is just remember to do it. That's not much of a skill to be developed. But the skill of right effort is a skill to be developed, just like uh, the skill of gladdening the mind is a skill. Right. Okay, but breathing, we already know how to do that. Right. And so that, that's why the, 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 the actual sutta itself uses uh, different verbs because all of the other steps that we're talking about have to do with development. Thus, one trains oneself, as right. opposed to um, mindfully understanding that this is a long breath and mindfully understanding that this is a, uh, a long, deep out breath. So all the others are skills to be developed. <clears throat> so we start with these two things. Step nine and ten, and step one. Right. Using these three items of the Eightfold Noble Path: right effort, right sati, and right view. So, the question now is: Can we remember then to take a long, deep breath? And now, can we sustain that long, deep breath? Can we remember to continue to taking a long, deep breath while what we're talking about in the mind is what we're doing when we're breathing? So we can have words like, wow, this is a really nice breath. Oh, wow, I really enjoy this. Or we can have thoughts of actually the feeling of the air coming in when the, when the sinuses are really cleaned out and you're taking that deep breath. It really feels good. So these are the kind of thoughts that we want to have. It's not the, the thought, it feels good, but the experience of it feeling good. Right. Those right. are the kind of thought moments that we're wanting to have so that as we're experiencing that breath in and out, we get this established. And now we want to sustain that feeling of in and out long while talking to ourselves about how nice this is. Or just experiencing how nice it is to be alive. So. 
as we practice this, we begin to develop these skills over and over and over again so that we begin to uh, recognize what is a truly wholesome thought and what's not a wholesome thought. So that um, when we're practicing like this, one of the things that happens is we begin to gain confidence that we can do this. This one little simple thing is to remember to take a long breath and to remember to throw out unwholesome thoughts and put in wholesome thoughts. Now, here's something very interesting, and that is, is that in order to control the breath, to make it a long breath, if we are actually talking about controlling the breath, that a word that we can use that comes out of the Burmese is seize it or fall upon it or jump on it. But in many cases of uh, other practices of the Mahasi, for instance, they say, don't control the breath, it's just to watch it. But here we're actually controlling the breath. We're using sati and a little bit of right effort to actually make sure that it's a long, deep in-breath. In order to do that, we've got to remember to do it. And in fact, we're actually controlling the mind. If you cannot control the mind to control the breath, how can you control the breath? The mind will control the breath. So we're already working on the control of two items, controlling the mind and controlling the breathing by gladdening the mind and taking long, deep breaths and regaining confidence now as we do that, that we can do this, okay? So we're building another kind of thought now. This is called the Samasankapa, which is a deeper kind of thinking. In the Pali, it's often translated as um, right intention. I also translate it as right attitude or right tendency, right expectation, right leaning, okay? That a towel is going to fall in the direction that it leans. Right. And so the mind is inclined or leans to a certain thing. And what we're actually now inclining the mind and leaning the mind towards is wholesome thoughts, gladdening the mind and taking long, deep breaths. And so we're beginning to lean the mind in that direction. And so the fourth item on the list is Sama Sankapa or right attitude is the attitude that is brought on from uh, confidence or shraddha or shraddha. And so we we gain confidence that I can control the breath. I can make it long and slow and deep, and I can remember to do that and keep it that way for longer periods of time. And this confidence builds up in the sense of I can do this. I can do it. This is actually now the beginnings of the Vedana or the Sukha. We're actually now beginning to, with by controlling the mind and controlling the body, we're beginning to control the Vedana. We're beginning to control how we feel. We're actually literally talking ourselves into feeling good. Because we actually, one of the things that I like to say is, is that everyone has been talking themselves into feeling bad their whole life. Now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good. And how we do that is by um, uh, controlling the mind to talk ourselves into feeling good and controlling the body by breathing very well to help us to feel good. On the So you can see the mind and the body now are attacking the feelings from, from two angles, kind of a pincer. 
And that's what I found out. Yeah, that's what I found out. Okay, so with this, then we can say that there that there is a skill to be developed, this skill of sukha, and that sukha has the definition in the Pali that it has various qualities. One is is that it has the feeling of safety and security. It also has the quality of being free from dukkha because it's actually the opposite of that. That you could say that sukha is kind of a satisfaction where uh, dukkha is unsatisfying. Well, fear would be one of the uh, sources of being unsatisfied. We don't like it when we're afraid, right? So that means that we need to practice feeling safe and secure. We actually have to talk ourselves into feeling safe and secure. You can look around the room, for instance, and there's no alligators on the floor. You got no snakes crawling up your leg. There's no tarantulas on the arm. Everything is okay. You don't have any bill collectors at the door. That's just my girlfriend. Well, she's not dangerous. And there's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to be afraid of. And so we begin to talk ourselves into there really is nothing to be afraid of. And we can feel safe and secure. The Buddha really is big on this idea of abaya, abaya giri, you've heard. Okay. Uh, well, the word baya is the word fear. And okay. the word abaya is translated as not, uh, not fear, is translated wrongly into English as fearlessness. Right. We're not looking for fearlessness. Fearlessness is something that the... Um, the champion who is about to go into battlefields. In other words, we think of that as courage. Okay, we're not talking about courage. We're not talking about that kind of fearlessness. We're talking about feeling safe, feeling secure. That in fact, if that warrior felt really safe and secure, he wouldn't even be pressing in his battle armor going out for battle because there's no dangers. Right. Okay, so fearlessness is fearlessness in the face of danger. Guess what? Safety and security is in the face of no danger at all. That's what we're looking for. Feeling of safe and secure. We're also looking for comfort, that if we feel safe and secure, we can feel comfortable. And if we feel safe and secure and comfortable, then the next little step is to feel satisfied. And there's the sukha, feeling satisfied. This is good enough. And so we need to practice that. One of the ways of practicing is, is that I don't get what I want, but I can be satisfied with not getting what I want. Okay, that this is painful and I don't like it, but I can't get rid of it. I can still be satisfied that I can't get rid of the things that I don't like. And so I can practice the skill of uh, being satisfied. And we practice this over and over and over and over again, the practice of being satisfied, talking ourselves into it, looking at how good the body feels. This is how we're practicing now the satipatthana, is the body and the mind and the feelings, right? And we're also working with the mind objects in the beginning of taking out the hindrances, throwing out the uh, unwholesome thoughts and bringing in only wholesome thoughts. Right. 
So this is the way that we begin to practice Anapanasati, is remembering to wake up, to take a look at that thought, to change the thought from an unwholesome thought to a wholesome thought, take a deep breath, and then stay there, and stay there, and right. stay there. As we develop that skill then of um, confidence, and that confidence builds so that you have the feeling that I can handle this no matter what kind of hindrances come to mind, I can clean them out. Right. Come back to this present moment. Okay. This is now the development of the next stage of the uh, uh, <clears throat> Vedana, and that is the pity. And generally in Western Buddhism, they misunderstand pity because it's described as physical sensations or physical pains to where yeah. in fact the real point of it is an attitude and so give let me show you what i mean by that there is um let us say the big football game maybe some cup world cup or rose bowl or something like that and the uh, star uh, quarterback makes a touchdown what does he do immediately after he makes the touchdown? All right, that is the that's the pity. That's the yeehaw. That's the, and he feels really good. He's on top of his game, right? How long does he do that? Not so long. Right, maybe five, ten, twenty seconds. Yeah. Then what does he do? Let's go. Well, he relaxes. Wow. And he relaxes in the victory. Right. But now Which he's the... really satisfied. Right. Okay. So this is how we're going to see our practice in, is that we're going to build up satisfaction until we get that really yee-haw feeling. I've got this. And that's the pity that comes in waves sometimes, and then it relaxes back into sukha. Right. And the pity is a skill to be developed so that you could bring yourself up to just like you had that feeling of what does the football player do immediately after he makes a touchdown? What are you going to do immediately after you remember to take a deep breath and feel good? Yeah, I could do this. Okay, I understand that. Okay, so this is how we're beginning to practice is we're going to develop these four things right view. <clears throat> when we remember taking the right effort over and over and over again, let those three things build. And as they build, we add this fourth ingredient of right attitude. And when that attitude peaks, it peaks into pity, into the feeling of a champion, into the feeling of I've got this and the feeling of success. Okay. So we're adding a new word now. First, we start with safety, security, comfort, satisfaction. And on top of this, we add the word. Uh, what? I didn't hear that. Exhilaration. Success. Yeah. Right. Right. The exhilaration comes from success. Okay. And then on top of that, finally, it's the feeling of wealth. 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 Not well, money, uh, okay. well, okay, right. that 
that you've got such a winner's attitude that it's so wealthy uh, with with winner's attitude that you can spread it to other people easily. You're wealthy with it. You're stinking rich with joy and pleasure and satisfaction and success. Right. Okay, so I think I understand something that I didn't understand before, which I was generating PT. I had success, but it was success from breathing, and that generated PT. But actually, what you're saying now is you don't actually need, you could just generate from your mind. Yes, it's always generated from the mind. Right, you're right. using the addition of the breathing, which I would recommend, but what you're not understanding is, is that you were doing it with your mind all along, blaming it on your breath, rather than saying, no, I was controlling right. both the mind and the feelings, uh, right. excuse me, the body and the feelings with the mind. With your attitude, with right. your gladdening of the mind, with your talking to yourself, talking yourself into feeling good, talking yourself into taking a deep breath and remembering to take a deep breath. So the mind remembers the forerunner for everything. Nobody robs a bank until they think about robbing a bank. Okay. Nobody takes a deep breath until they remember to think about taking a deep breath. Okay. Okay. Depends upon what part of the mind it comes from. It can come from the, the ancient reptilian part of the brain, which like when you're climbing stairs or running, you start breathing oh. deep. But the mind right. controls that. Right. The breathing right, right. Of course, of course. Yeah. of course, of course, of course, of course. I, I thought it was basically in steps. I think it's five where you generate PT. I thought that was a breath way. And then there's a different way with through the mind directly. Both are true. Yeah. Right. So there's not one or the other. It's both. Right, right. Okay. Okay. I'll have to get your experience from that. Right. So this is what we need to do now is to go practice this. Right. Practicing right. not based upon what you've read before or how you practiced before, but based upon the Eightfold Noble Method. Remember Sati to remember. Remember to uh, investigate what's in the mind, to take a look around, see what's there, see what's in the body, investigate, note, look at the feelings, investigate all kinds of things. But right in the very beginning, we're going to investigate the thought. So that we're going to change that thought from an unwholesome thought to a wholesome thought, which is also gladdening the mind. I could do this. Wow, this feels good. Okay, let me give you a whole list now of wholesome thoughts that you can have, which would be gladdening the mind. No place to go, nothing to do. Everything is okay. I do that often every day. No worries, not a problem. Got this wired. We could do it. We can do it. Okay, those are all wholesome thoughts. And so these are the kind of wholesome thoughts that we could use while we're breathing. Right. And as we do, we begin to feel like this. We, 
We literally talk ourselves into feeling this way by using those kind of words. Okay, I do that, but I also just generate sukha. In other words, I'm able to- That is sukha, that is it. But without the thoughts, I mean, not, I'm saying without, sometimes I don't think- Start, no, 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 that's what I'm inviting you to do is yeah. you need to pay more attention to the thoughts Before. that you've got. Right. That you're trailing after it, thinking that that the, the back side of it is all there is. And I'm asking you, inviting you to look at the front side as right. well as the back. Okay. Okay. Which means that you'll have to speed things up a bit to start catching things as they happen in the mind really fast. Right. 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 That's what we have as right right view is to keep looking. Remember to okay. look. Okay. okay. And you begin yeah. to see thoughts that you couldn't that you didn't see before. Right, that makes sense. All right, so this is how to practice. I would also recommend that you practice often throughout the day rather than long sitting periods. I do, I do, I do. I don't sit very much, yeah, I do. So about 10 minutes, sit, sit for 10 minutes. Yeah. But that 10 minutes with the intention of this, for this 10 minutes, I'm going to gladden the mind and I'm right. going to take deep breaths and I'm going to let myself feel really good. Yeah, I just do it throughout the day, whenever I can remember, you know, as much as possible, uh, quite a bit, actually. Yeah, we'll make sure that you spend about 10 minutes doing it. That would help yeah. to get I into the I do that, yeah. More than that. Yeah, more than that. Okay. Very good. All right, so practice that for a while, and we'll start talking about some other things. Okay. We'll just okay. We'll get you uh, uh, guided in a kind of a new direction. Recognizing that some of the things that you've been doing are correct. I'm not against what you're doing already, so you don't have to justify to me, but rather that I'm setting it out for you so that right. you can see how the whole thing fits together. And then you right. can say, well, yeah, but I, I, yeah, I've been doing that. That's great. I can plug that in and I'm doing that and I plug that in too. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, what about, do I need to know anything about the frame, the four frames of reference? Is that right? The Satipatthana. Sorry, the four, four foundation of mindfulness. Do I need to know any more about that, or is? Do you know them now? We have well, just spent an hour almost talking about them. No, I understand, but I thought it was like you should pick one of the four frames, which is the body, or the feelings, or the mind, or the thoughts. You're not ready to do that yet. You're. You've got to okay. get a foundation going. Okay. 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 You got to do them all, basically. Right, right. Well, I'm, I think what, what I've been doing is just using my breath and being in the breath as much as possible, being aware of the breath, and that makes me automatically aware of, you know, the mind and the rest of the body. Right. Well, that's also true that part of the investigation is to investigate the body, with the understanding that uh, that investigation of the body is going to be relaxing the body. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Right. All right. So there's the Kaya Nupasana. Right. We've been talking about the Satipatthana. When we talk about right. Anapanasati, we're talking about the Satipatthana. Okay. But in fact, the uh, Anapanasati is for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness, the body, right. the feelings, right. the mind, and the mind's objects. Right. And here we are changing the mind's objects from unwholesome to wholesome, 
gladdening the mind itself, investigating right. the mind, uh, breathing well, uh, investigating the body, relaxing the body, as well as beginning to feel good at feeling. I mean, to, look at how much of the Satipatthana we've already done. Right, right. Okay. 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 Yeah, just got to keep on working. <laughs> well, think of it not as work, but as a toy to play with. Yeah, it is. It is. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yes. Think of it as not as work to do. Work is the concept of the uh, critical mind. Right. So another thing that we can mention uh, now is the idea that the thoughts that we have are almost always critical thoughts. And the kind of thoughts that we're going to develop are nurturing thoughts. Right. Critical uh, thoughts are judgmental. Right. This is better right. than that. I want this. I want that. This is good. That's better. This right. is worse. Those are the kind of comparison thoughts. And we're coming out of comparisons into the kind of thoughts or language that is wholesome. Good okay. to good to goo kind of language. Is that also in reference to our own discernment of how we do things in practice? Well, yes, we need to change all of that and investigating all of that and going right into just nurturing language, just nurture. Right, right, right. right. Those are the kind of wholesome thoughts, not the discernment kind of wholesome thoughts, but rather we're going to see that enough just to throw that out and come right. in and start nurturing. Everything's right. okay. Everything is fine. Nothing to do. No snakes right. on the floor. Everything is all right. Everything is going to be all right. Oh, what a wonderful day. Everything's fine. These are the okay. kind of nurturing thoughts over and over and over again to have those nurturing thoughts. Right. Because we're going to literally be talking ourselves into feeling well, have a sense of well-being, feeling well-nurtured, well-loved. Right. Right. I need That's, to do more of that. Yes. Okay. So go practice. Go practice nurturing. Okay. James, we'll see you later. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. Bye-bye. Okay,